Welcome to the Quo, a community of challengers, disruptors, and changemakers. I'm your host, Pyle Patel. Join me as I dive into stories at the intersection of gender, race, and social and economic issues. This podcast series spotlights individuals from various industries, disciplines, and walks of life who are challenging the status quo through interesting and thought-provoking conversations. The quote aims to elevate the voices and stories of endeavoring change agents in hopes of empowering communities and inspiring meaningful change within our society through education, advocacy, and the power of storytelling. Are you ready? Let's get it. Welcome to episode nine of The Quo. I'm so excited to chat with uh, my guest this week. It's um, someone that I've had the pleasure of knowing for five years now. And uh, this past week, she and our, our team at Room to Read did something incredible. And we can't wait to share that with you. Um, so today's guest is my friend, Kay Nixon. Uh, a little bit of background on her. She began working for International Development Organization in Egypt and in India, which I actually just found out minutes ago when I asked her for a little bit of bio. Um, so that's that's kind of incredible. Um, she's been a middle school teacher for 20 years, um, now retired, currently serves as the co-chapter leader of Room to Read Chicago, which is how I know her. So I'm a chapter member and she has been serving in the capacity of uh, a chapter leader since 2017, rallied a, a whole bunch of people here in Chicago and got them together behind this cause uh, that we're going to talk about today. And she's going to share her some, some tips and insights on fundraising too, which I'm excited to chat with her about. Um, she enjoys reading, traveling, spending time with her grandchildren, and she's also learning Spanish. So she's up to a lot, and I'm so excited to bring on my friend Kay. Hi. Hi, Payel. Welcome to the Quo. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Well, so we have so much to chat about, and I, I want to first begin with um, the work that we, we're, we've been doing with Room to Read, but we're coming off of an exciting week. On Giving Tuesday, Room to Read, which, by the way, uh, I guess I should share what Room to Read is. It's an organization that is that works on uh, youth uh, literacy programs and girls' education programs around the globe. Highly encourage everyone to check it out. But uh, that's the cause uh, that I had, um, you know, been pushing out for Giving Tuesday, and then we we had a fundraiser. Um, and so I, I want to begin there and and um, talk a little bit about Room to Read. First of all, in your words, why you decided to join Room to Read five years ago? What was it about this organization that drew you? And um, and then we'll talk about the fundraiser. Okay. Um, well, as you um, said earlier, I was involved in an international development organization for 20 years. And um, um, it was very inspiring for me to live in other countries, to work in villages um, with village people um, on a host of issues um, from clean water to uh, building uh, preschools to um, local women's industries and um, was very influenced by um, living overseas. And then when my husband and I came home and started our family, um, I was a teacher 
and taught reading um, to seventh graders. So when I retired from teaching, I was looking for something to do that would take me back to the international arena. And this organization is the perfect convergence of, in my experience of what I did overseas, as well as teaching reading um, and helping young girls. So it was um, three things that kind of came together uh, for me, and it was a, a perfect um, place to invest my time. So when I oh, discovered Room to Read, it was um, just um, a, a thrilling discovery, and I decided to spend more time with it. Mm -hmm. And you launched the the chapter here in Chicago. There was one before, and then um, and then I think things kind of fizzled out. But decided to start a chapter here in, in Chicago dedicated to Room to Read in 2017. Um, what was what went into that that decision for you and and that whole process of launching a chapter for those listening and might want to start a chapter wherever they are? Yeah. Well, um, if you go on the website of roomtoread.org, you can see there's a list of chapters. I think there are 52 chapters globally. And I was looking to become more involved and I didn't see anything in Chicago. You can see a map on the website and there's little dots where the chapters are located, but there wasn't a dot in Chicago. And so I communicated with the headquarters in San Francisco and asked them if there was any organization in Chicago that I could join. And they said there wasn't currently a chapter. And I said, well, I, I, would, I would like to be the chapter then. <laughs> I will be the chapter since I'm retired and just tell me what, what I need to do. So they told me that there was a fundraising goal that we needed to meet in order to get a dot on the map. And um, so um, you were a part of the very beginning, Payal, because you, yeah. were, you were there um, even before I came on board. You knew about Room to Read before I did. And so when I was looking for people to work with, you volunteered and um, helped us figure out how to do our first year of fundraising. Um, and we got the, the amount of money that we needed to get to get our little dot on the map. So um, there were, there was a lot of people that kind of came and went in our first year, first couple of years that were interested, but were either too busy or had family obligations or job obligations and couldn't quite figure out how to fit it into their time and their schedule. Um, but, um, that's kind of how it began. I, I just wanted to be the chapter and, and we've been a dot on the map for five years. <laughs> and I was just gonna say, we've come a long way, even in those five short years. Um, and we're going to talk about, you know, where the fundraising mar mark was back then and what we hit just recently, but, um, yeah, in five short years with a small but mighty team, we've we've done a lot, and I'm proud of of having joined the chapter. I was doing the same thing I, when I was searching for causes that resonated with my personal mission and values. And for me, my why of joining Room to Read was um, centered on two things. One, I I have a very strong connection to education in general, but for girls' education specifically because I didn't realize until I did a little bit of digging and work, but more than 750 million people in the world um, lack basic literacy skills, right? They're illiterate and two thirds of them are women and girls. Yeah. And that stat sh kind of shook me to my core. And I, I was like, well, what's, what's going on here? What, what is the, the, the root cause and the problem? And I, I found Room to Read as one of the leading organizations that was addressing this. 
because yeah. um, yeah. I do fundamentally believe that everything starts with education. It's how communities can sustain themselves long term, right? It's yeah. it, I, the, the one thing I admired about Room to Read, especially John Wood, the founder, was that he started this when he went, had a trip to was it India or Nepal that he went Nepal. to first? It was Nepal first. Okay. And I, I think he came across, a, you know, a village where he saw the need and he thought to himself that he could either write a check and help them out for a little while, or he could address the, the root systemic problem, which was uh, this community doesn't, they can't sustain themselves if they can't be productive, you know, citizens of, of their community. And so education was, was one of the best ways to address that. And then also realize that women and girls were um, at the very bottom uh, in, in receiving access to education. So that's why I loved it so much. And then also knowing my mom's story, knowing that they grew up in India and had, you know, a lot of inequities in education for women and girls. And that could have easily been me, you know, one generation away. Um, so those were my why for joining Room to Read. And I, I just commend you for being the chapter, as you said, because if you hadn't, I, I wouldn't know. I, I wasn't going to start a chapter. <laughs> that was it. That was too big of a commitment for me. But um, I, I wanted to contribute in some way. And so thank you for creating that opportunity for us here in Chicago. You're welcome. You're welcome. It is kind of an incredible story. Um, he took a break from from being a um, uh, a Microsoft um, boss um, and took a hike in Nepal and discovered that way up in the mountains um, in these remote areas, there were no libraries. And so that's really where it began 20 years ago. He said, you know, being an avid reader himself, he was shocked that there were no books and no libraries for children and swore that he would bring books back. And that just ballooned into this organization where he started building libraries and then he realized I'm going to have to build bigger schools. And then he started to realize well, we're going to have to teach kids how to read. And then we're going to have to follow those children through elementary school and middle school and high school. And then we're going to have to especially keep an eye on the girls who seem to be dropping out when they're 13 and 14 to marry early. So it evolved, you know, from let's, let's, distribute libraries all around Southeast Asia to let's make sure those kids can read. Let's make sure that they can be functioning adults. Let's make sure the girls actually have options. Yes. Yeah. No, thank you for clarifying that story. It was a bit uh, fuzzy on the details of John Wood's, um, you know, reason to start this organization, but um, it is incredible story. And, you know, for him to have left such a cushy job at Microsoft to do this yeah. speaks volumes of his character. And then what he's built over room to read celebrated his 20th anniversary, right? Last year, yeah. it came up on 20 years. And while it was in the middle of a pandemic, um, we didn't get to celebrate. So we, we redid the celebration this year. And, yeah. um, and so, but 20 years and, and the impact has been incredible. Yeah. So, um, in the time that you've been involved, what does that impact look like? You actually went to Tanzania and got to see some of that firsthand, which is such a cool, you know, experience. I imagine you went with your husband Jeff, and um, you went to was it a school or a library build that you um, saw come to life? Well, um, the Tanzania trip was actually a four-day trip. Um, the first day we spent with the staff there in Tanzania. Um, 
getting to know them. We visited the office. We were introduced to the people who ran the programs. Um, and then the second day we visited two different schools um, with a concentration on the early literacy part of Room to Read. So we visited the libraries. We saw all the local language picture books that have been created and developed in country for the Tanzanian students. Um, the third day we visited a couple of different schools that had the girls education program and we got to chat with the girls. We got to see them put on a skit. We got to meet with their mentors um, and really dig deep into what that program does for girls. And then on the last day, we visited with government officials, the government that um, the government officials that invited Room to Read to come. And that's one of the things that makes Room to Read so unique and effective is that the governments in these countries invite them to come in and then put up a third to a half of the funding for the programs. So they're very invested financially. And then they work with Room to Read on the ground to determine what villages are going to get these services. So the, 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 the high government officials and the lower local government officials are all very, very involved and invested in making this program work. Um, and then they kind of customize it according to what the village needs. Do they need a library? Or do they need a bigger school? Or do they need a, a, an improved school facility? Um, do the girls need help with transportation to get them to school? with uniforms, with books. Um, so it's a very customized approach. Um, but that's one of the things that makes Room to Read so successful is that they work very closely with the government. And I'm gonna just add one more thing here. Um, the literacy program, the other thing that makes Room to Read so um, successful is that it's replicable. So the literacy program in a village is, is um, ongoing for four years with Room to Read staff there and Room to Read trained teachers. But after four years, those teachers know what they're doing. So Room to Read goes to a different village and starts again. Um, they come back for, you know, professional development and for quality, um, you know, uh, making sure that the quality of the education is the same, but for, they virtually left and the village takes over, which is what you want. Right. Um, and with the girls education program, it's a longer investment. It's seven years, but they stay in that village with the girls, making sure that they graduate from high school. And then once that is accomplished there, then they do go to another village and start another seven year process. But so what makes them so successful is that they can repeat this process over and over and over again and expand the influence of the programs. Yeah, I've, I found that to be true uh, in just looking at their model. It just makes, they've made it very easy to duplicate efforts and keep that sustainability going, um, you know, across countries around the globe. So that's, that's really wonderful to see. Um, what have you realized is like the root issue of girls not getting access to education what what have you found through room to read is that fundamental problem 
Well, it's just a fundamental cultural um, profile of girls. Um, and just traditionally and culturally, girls have been expected to marry early, have children, support the family, support the family business or support the family farm, and basically be a contributor on a very small level. And what um, Room to Read tries to communicate and convey to the villagers, and especially the fathers and the older brothers, is that if your daughter is educated, she will be a healthier, um, more productive uh, member of your family and your village. Um, she will be more likely to marry later, have fewer children, and bring in more money. And so it's a slow change, cultural change um, to convince the fathers and the older brothers and the village elders that actually this is better for everyone is if these girls are allowed to make a choice when they're 17 instead of already having three children when they're 17. Yeah, no, absolutely. That actually reminds me of a, a quote by Michelle Obama, who is actually involved in Room to Read, by the way, right? Um, she, I think through, is it Girls um, Opportunity Alliance? Yep. Right, yep. Um, has actually visited um, some Room to Read uh communities where um, they're involved and and has seen the work firsthand. But there's a quote where she said, no country can truly flourish if it stifles the potential of its women and deprives, it, deprives itself of the contributions of half of its citizens. And that quote always stuck with me because it's, you know, yes, it is a cultural problem. Um, I think a lot of times it, it, there's, there's this, there's been this, um, I guess, idea or notion that the best thing you can do for your girl is get her married off to a, a good family. But when we're not utilizing half of the population, the community can't truly reach its full potential. And so, you know, room to read and, and the work they've done to elevate the other half of the population has just been so critical and, and ha has helped turn communities around. So um, that's why I also love that work for sure. Um, speaking of work specifically with, with girls, the fundraiser we did this week was centered on girls' education. It, it was called Graduate a Girl. Um, and this is our 20th anniversary fundraiser. Our, is this our third that we did, um, in terms of a actual full event? Yes. Uh, so it was held at the Golden Triangle in Chicago. And, uh, we, this is our second time doing it at, the golden triangle but it's amazing to see the growth in that room right because the the first year was good but then each year thereafter we've seen such growth and interest and it's a huge testament to you and what you've done with with uh fundraising so i want to talk about fundraising first can you share what we made um or what we raised in our first attempt at the fundraiser and and then the growth thereafter and what we what we raised this year um, well, we had to raise $20,000 the first year we were a chapter in order to get our dot on the map. And so we, we, we asked people for funds. We did something called beers for books. I don't know if you remember that one, Payel. That was like our first Dude, one. The very first one at the Willow Room. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Um, and we did a couple of other little small things, I think, that year um, and, and got together, scraped together our 20 grand. Um, and uh, then I'm not sure if we really had a formal fundraiser. I think the first year we sort of scrambled. And I think maybe the second year we did the beers for books. And then the third year we had our first fundraiser at the Golden Triangle. And we were that was a, um, a year dedicated to early literacy and um, supporting schools in Nepal. And so it was a superhero theme. We, that we had superhero. Yes, exactly. We had a cape and everything. Yes. A superhero <laughs> with capes and everything. And we our goal was thirty five thousand dollars. And that night we raised eighty five thousand dollars. So we actually were able to support two schools in Nepal. Um, and we've received um, photos and news from those schools um, about how well they're doing. Um, and then COVID hit and we did a virtual fundraiser last year um, uh, that we joined the North American chapters and everybody did the same fundraiser. I think it might've been in September. And um, our goal, I don't know if we had a goal because we were doing it as, as a continent, um, but the Chicago chapter raised $100,000 last year. Um, so we were very proud of that. And then this year, um, we were gonna graduate a girl as part of our 20th celebration, 20th anniversary celebration. And we decided to still be modest and ask for $50,000, which would have graduated about maybe a little under, hmm, a little under 3,000, is that right? No, that's not right. I have to, I have to, I'll have to calculate that. I know that $300 supports one girl for a year. Okay. So whatever $50,000 is, I'll have to put that yeah. on my calculator. Um, but um, we honored four longtime donors, um, Caterpillar, uh, the Hunter Family Foundation, IMC, and the Staines Family Foundation. Um and we successfully raised $120,000 on Tuesday night. And it didn't hurt that it was Giving Tuesday. <laughs> yes, yes. And it didn't hurt yeah. that we had a two-to-one match from the MetLife Foundation. So, right, yeah. It's like the star is completely aligned, right, yeah. for, that, right. for that fundraising opportunity. Yeah. Right, but everyone was very, very generous. And so... Um, I think with $120,000, I think it's 400 girls, 400 girls, yeah, we able to support. So we've, we've gotten, I, I, you know, knock on wood every year, we're a little bit more um, successful. And, you know, st we want to stay humble, we want to stay modest, we yeah. don't want to ask people for too much money. But there was so much warmth and so much generosity in that room on Tuesday night. And um, it was, it was very rewarding. I agree. Does, does it um, then feel like a challenge with like every forthcoming year that you, you want to try to beat the previous goal? Like, does that kind of like put you in a position where, um, okay, I got to set, like I set the bar here. And so now we got to raise it now. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, I think we can still inch up a little bit every year. But I think that 
we're going to get to know our market better and better the more we do this. And we're going to sort of, I feel like, arrive at a comfortable level that we know we can guarantee for room to read every year. So we'll have probably 75 to 100 people in the room and we'll probably raise uh, around a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and I'll be happy if that's what we do. I don't have to have a five hundred, you know, person sit down dinner. Um, I I I don't know if we have the same kind of market. I know that there are other chapters, international chapters, that raise millions of dollars. Yeah. Singapore, Sydney, Tokyo, Hong Kong, London. I know that they all raise um, significant sums and that's just a different demographic than we are. And so I'm, I'm happy being where we are. I, I'd love to be ambitious um, yeah. about it, but we'll just kind of have to see how it plays out. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. I, um, I never looked at it that way. Well, first of all, I, I, I don't claim to be a good fundraiser. I, I have, um, a paralyzing fear of asking people for money. <laughs> I've always been this way. I, I, my first job was actually a telemarketer and of, of all jobs. And it was because I hadn't gotten my work permit yet. And so I couldn't get jobs at the mall, like all the other kids were getting. And so, um, but this telemarketing company, they were like, we'll take you. And so, you know, I was excited to just earn my first paycheck and, uh, I underestimated how I would feel getting on those phones and trying to ask for money and then being shot down and rejected. And then I, after that, I was like, I can't, I can't do anything in sales or fundraising. It's not for me. So now I, I, I get scared asking people for money. So one, my question is, um, how have you navigated fundraising and asking people for money? How do you make that a comfortable thing um, for yourself? And back to the market, um, it never dawned on me that you assess the market first before you determine what your fundraising goal might be. And so can you walk through that process and how you determine what the right goal should be for you? Um, that's an interesting that's question. question. My husband and I both did fundraising when we were in this international development group. So we raised money for um, the uh, villages in India there. Um, and I learned a lot about fundraising. I don't have a formal background in fundraising, but I do have experience in it. Um, I know that um, you look at the individuals that are closest to you first, sort of the ones you know the best, and analyze what you think they would be able to give or what they would be willing to give. Um, and just kind of paint a picture of who's at the $5,000 range? Who's at the $10,000 range? Who's at the $500 range? Just write a whole long list of where you want to be. Um, you can also ask your other chapter or team members for you know, their personal friends, get a feeling as a group where your boundaries might be. Um, the second thing is I will, I always start really early in fundraising and let people know that the event is going to happen in three months and please be thinking about contributing. Um, last year you gave this much, would you be willing to give us a little bit more? Um, 
do people tend to respond positively to that when you ask that question? Are, you, people, are you willing to give a little bit more? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. And uh, so start, I would start early. Um, the other thing that we try to do, that Jeff and I try to do, is make our events very eventful so that they're really fun, so that you've got um, an interesting place to be in. And that the Golden Triangle is certainly a very interesting place to be in with all the Asian antiques, um, with delicious food and drink, um, with quality materials, sophisticated materials, uh, throw in a little entertainment, be willing to be a little goofy, put on a superhero cape, put on a graduation gown and a mortarboard um, and make it fun and make it classy is what we we tried to do. Um, and then the last thing that you have to do is you have to reach out personally. So individual emails to your best friends, your colleagues, um, you know, the people that you see a lot, your your hairdresser, your your nail technician, uh, your massage therapist, the, your favorite restaurant, if they're willing to give, fine. If not, maybe they'd put something in the auction. Um, but a personal note of, of, of request and then a personal note of thanks goes a long, long, long way. The generic letters um, don't really work. I mean, we have a newsletter about 400 people, but most of our money comes from our personal contacts. Mm. It's um, it's like you said, the personalized touch, it goes a long way yeah. um, and, and really resonates with people. And while we were talking about how this fundraiser happening on Giving Tuesday was beneficial, was there... A, was there ever a thought that it could maybe not be just because that's a day where everyone's trying to squeeze, you know, uh, money out of people on a day, you know, it's, it's the, the go-to day for most nonprofits and charitable organizations. So did, did you feel like there might be some sort of like fighting over the piece of pie, you know, um, to get, to get funds uh, on a day that is so common for contributing? Um, there were a lot of things that could have gone against us. Um, so with every fundraiser, I feel like we take a chance. I don't think there's any perfect day to have a fundraiser. Um, this time it was going to be on Giving Tuesday right after Thanksgiving. We weren't sure if people would be back from their Thanksgiving breaks. We weren't sure that they wouldn't be exhausted from traveling. We also have COVID now, and we weren't sure that people would feel comfortable gathering. Um, so we actually did lose people who were traveling. We lost people for, for COVID um, who just said, we're not going to be able to come. We're, we're, we're too, um, we're being very careful. Um, and we knew that there would be a competition, but um, we didn't really think that that would be a problem because um, a lot of the um the requests for Giving Tuesday are um, over your email, um, uh, over Facebook and um, social media, and um, uh, oh, and in the mail. And so there weren't a lot. We didn't 
think there were going to be a lot of actual um, uh, in-person gatherings for Giving mm -hmm. Tuesday. So we, we, we just took a chance. Okay. And the chance paid off, right? Because yes. obviously um, the chapter was able to, to raise more than it ever has and exceed its goal by a lot. So, um, you know, congratulations to you and the rest of our chapter and all the work and dedication um, that, you know, has been put into this. Uh, where can people find information about Room to Read and get involved? Um, you can always uh, go on the website, the, the official Room to Read website, which is roomtoread.org. They have a, a very sophisticated website. It's multi-levels of information. Um, and uh, you can find lots of ways to get involved. Even if you didn't want to join a chapter, you could do a little fundraiser of your own. They have printable material. They have posters. They have... Um, social media um, suggestions. So even as an individual, you can get involved in a small, small way. Um, but if you wanted to join the chapter, I would encourage you to go uh, to email us. We're at room to read chai. So that's room to read chi, just one word, um, at gmail.com. Uh, we check that um, address regularly and people do reach out to us through that address. So either one of those ways um, are, would be wonderful. And we are always looking for chapter members. So if you are so inclined and anything in this um, interview has resonated with you, please reach out to us. Yes, for sure. Um, you know, I actually, as I posted about it this past week, a few people reached out to me on LinkedIn and they were like, how can I get involved? Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I'm excited because I feel like the, you know, there's momentum and the energy keeps building year after year. And so hopefully we can find people and, and um, get some consistent involvement and um, just a huge kudos to you. And, uh, you know, for just taking the lead with this and, and giving us an opportunity to make a meaningful impact here in Chicago and around the world. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your help. And thank you so much for all the wonderful social media posts and the photos and the videos. You've been an amazing help, Payel. We couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much. Oh, for that. I appreciate that. Yes. Uh, please do follow us on social media, by the way. That's a plug as well. You could go to our Instagram. It's also the same thing as the email at room to read shy. Um, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. So all the platforms and uh, yeah, join our efforts. I, I usually have a, I do a birthday fundraiser. It make, Room to read makes it so easy. So for my birthday, instead of, you know, gifts, I, I usually encourage people to go donate there but you can do something similar for any occasion just because. And those looking to still make contributions this holiday season, we strongly encourage you to give some thought to Room to Read. And with that, I want to extend a warm and hearty thank you to Kay for joining me today and, um, and sharing some, some insights and some wisdom around fundraising, Room to Read, and more. Thank you so much, Kay. Thanks, Payal. And thanks for those tuning in, and we will see you next time. Hey, it's me again. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, please subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming service so that you're notified when new episodes are posted. Also, be sure to follow The Quo on social media at The Quo Media 
across all platforms for the latest and greatest. Thanks again for joining, supporting, and uplifting the Quo community, or as I like to call it, our Quo Horde. Catch you next time.